0: Because it's family history and i wanted and you we talked a little about ego and chef ego but i wanted the world to know that southern food is not all um grease and gravy like we have beautiful healthy elegant food
1: hello friends welcome back to the atlanta foodcast You know, there are chefs whose stories I have read about and have known for many, many years, and they were the main inspiration behind starting this show. I just love hearing how they came to be where they are and what they are and everything along the way that makes up the entirety of who they are. And without a doubt, it's what drives every interview and full episode that I bring you every single week. And speaking of stories, I'm really honored to bring you guys this interview with Chef Jennifer Hill Booker. This powerhouse woman has an absolutely incredible tale of jet-setting and cooking and teaching and influencing the most important aspects of the food industry today, and she's even managed to find time to write two cookbooks. And this one was super fun to record as Chef and I sat at a lovely taqueria in Tucker, Georgia over a bowl of incredibly hot habanero salsa. So the ambiance on this one is top-notch, and without further delay, here's episode 20, with Chef Jennifer Hill Booker. This is a really fun place to yes. record a podcast. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think ambiance is something that might be, I mean, if you say overlooked or just, I don't know, maybe kind of thrown by the wayside. You don't really think about it too much in a podcast, but tell me a little bit about this place, because I, I mean, I don't really make it out to this side of town very often, but I love sure, that we're doing this here. Sure, it's Tecara Los Hermanos, which... My understanding is five
0: brothers opened up a Mexican restaurant, and they have two locations, one near me and one here. And actually, a friend of mine who's also a chef, when I first moved to Lilburn, took me to the one on our part of town. And uh, I fell in love, and then it's family-owned, and it tastes authentic, and the flavors are always big, bold flavors. And So I thought you'd get a kick out of this and something new.
1: Dude, speaking about kick, I mean, that... Habanero salsa. I mean, you can tell that they're yeah. really trying to tell you to take it easy because yes. that, that. That bowl that it's me. I served told in. you
0: like one little dip yeah. of the well, that's corner
1: of your chip. <laughs> yeah, and that's maybe like two tablespoons of salsa. So that's too like, much. Yeah. Yeah, they're like you're not much. gonna make it all the way through Mm-mm, that unless you're all. like a serious hot head. But I'm not from Texas, so like, no, I, don't I think really if you <laughs> ate all that, your taste buds be blown out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your your eyeballs are gonna start spinning out of your head. But, yes. Um, but man, I've got someone really special on the other end of the microphone here. Um, it's Miss Chef Jen Hill Booker. Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast.
0: Thank you very much. This is
1: Fun. yeah I, I, this is super fun i mean again like i i probably don't mention the ambiance enough like yeah. i i probably like it's it's definitely written in every episode page but um the thing that i love is that i don't record in a studio like i want right. to go to your restaurant or somewhere that's more just a neutral location like hey let's just kind of pick up you know yeah wherever we can kick up your feet a little bit treat it like it's your living room and
0: no this is i think it's a good idea i did uh a podcast yeah. in my office, and so I was always dodging, like, the school bus, or the neighbor's lawnmower, or the right. dog barking, so this is much better background <laughs> noise, you know?
1: I know, I, I can't wait for someone to, like, drop a sheet pan, Yeah, or, there you know, go there or, you hey, go. you know what I mean, the, the World Cup, or something like that, so when someone scores oh, a goal, no, like, I we're think, gonna hear well, everybody, like, you know. It,
0: it is on. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> no, but this is great, but
1: thanks again for being on the sure, show. Sure, of course. You, you have such a great background, and I'm gonna rattle through some, okay. just, of, just of what I know of you, and I can't wait to get into more, but... Okay. Um, but speaking of just some of the amazing work that you have done, so you started at Le Cordon Bleu, you were traveling the country, spent time in Germany, uh, your husband was in the military, yes. and this is Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, my you. Right, view. right. And then, uh, man, let's just list off some of the things that you've done here. So we're talking about uh, James Beard Foundation, the mm-hmm. Dona Scoffier, uh, Slow Food Atlanta, working for Department of Agriculture, Uh, the list goes on and on. And then we can't even, we haven't even mentioned your two cookbooks yet, but um, talk about some prolific work there, Chef. So... I, before we get into some of the amazing work that you've done and especially on the educational front, um, I one of the questions I ask every single one of the guests on my show uh-huh. is getting to know you just a little bit more, but I want to know who cooked for you growing up and okay. what kind of cook was he or she? Oh
0: yeah, for sure. So my family is from the Mississippi Delta. So it's a teeny tiny town in uh, upper northern Mississippi, about 70 miles south of Memphis. So that's why I have to tell people because they don't know where it's at. And so Southern cuisine, Um, but not deep South, but Delta South. So it's a little different. We do a lot more rice um, than grits. And um, we do fried fish and chicken and, you know, all these things. Sweet potato, capital of the world. Um, But my grandmother is an excellent cook. And so we would go and stay all summer or go for the holidays. And so she would cook like every meal and uh, make biscuits every morning and cornbread every night. And uh, my grandfather was a, an excellent hunter, so he would go with his brothers and my, you know, my great uncles and, and go out hunting. But what he would do, which I thought was cool uh, now, you know, when you're younger, you thought, well, that's awfully pushy. But he would go to the grocery store or to the garden or you know, if they went hunting, and he'd leave it on the kitchen table, and that would tell my grandmother what he wanted for dinner. And so if he left, like, some fill peas and a chicken, she'd know that that's what he wanted to eat. Or if he, you know, got a ham from a neighbor, a shoulder or something, then she'd know what that was. So she cooked and um, just fell in love with food from a kid, just the smells and the flavors. And she would make turkey... And dressing, So we say dressing instead of stuffing.
1: Yeah, and I yeah. know that, that can be a pretty contentious issue for a lot of people. <laughs> so I, I grew up, it was always stuffing. But okay. stuffing was, I mean, that was like stovetop out of the box. You okay, know? okay. But dressing right. was a very different thing. And I can't say that I had uh, dressing that would go toe-to-toe with what someone was like, no, 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 no. You right. don't actually know what dressing right. is. So,
0: so yeah. dressing, you think of it like you have your bird and you dress her. Exactly. Okay. Um, And the stuffing was usually a couple different things. Stuffing is usually more bread-based, and you might stuff it in the turkey and then bake the turkey. And dressing is cornbread and bread, like biscuits or white bread, and then you cook it separate, then you put it around the turkey. Some might go inside, but usually around. Gotcha.
1: Which one do you prefer?
0: Oh, definitely a dressing. I like to cook the dressing. I do mine in a cast iron skillet, and then I roast my turkey. And then I put them together, and then I roast them together about 30 more minutes. My grandmother would braise her turkey. So she'd braise the turkey a couple hours, and then she'd use all that delicious braising liquid, that stock, and then she'd add that to the dressing with lots of, lots of dried sage and onions and peppers, and then put it back together. Gotcha. That'd be so good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, so your grandma was cooking for you growing up. I mean, yes. and that just sounds like such an amazing way of experiencing food. And, yep. and, and you know, I, I had a long conversation with someone on the show pretty recently. We talked about cornbread. Yes. And I I didn't have cornbread outside of it being a, uh, like, a dinner item, you know? Right, and, right, right. And then, you know, I, I feel like we're, you're, you're starting to see cornbread more, like, becoming just kind of like this ever-present Starch yeah, throughout yeah. most of the day. But, you know, and I, I grew up with very sweet cornbread. It was almost like handheld uh, okay. creamed corn. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what but, you're talking but about. But that, yep. man, the first time that I ever had like salty cornbread mm-hmm. and it was just more of like the staple part of the meal, it's kind of what brought everything back home. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have that until I was probably an adult. No,
0: I call it angry cornbread, uh, <laughs> black power cornbread. But it's, you know, it's no sugar. It's more cornmeal than flour. You know, you have an egg and buttermilk or spoiled milk, and uh, you bake it in a skillet, cast iron skillet, or if you do whole cakes, like instead of pancakes or johnny cakes. And I don't like sweet cornbread. If I have sweet cornbread, it might be with a cup of coffee. Oh. or a hot cup of tea because it's more like cake or muffin or whatever. Gotcha. But, yes, yeah, so my grandma and my mother, who's an excellent cook as well, but she cooks everything, international cuisines. So um, we grew up with southern cuisine, but then she her favorite sandwich is a Reuben. So she would do a corned beef and, you know, make that for us. Or she might braise beef and do like an Italian dish. So I was lucky enough to grow up with both, you know, southern true roots and then International cuisine, you know, that my mom would do, and she loves casseroles. She's like the queen of casseroles. So tuna casserole is like a big hit, a big thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So growing up in the South, I mean, like that's that's such an awesome eclectic background to have mm-hmm. in the kitchen. You know, I mean with. You know, I mean, with your with your grandfather hunting oh, and yeah. like bringing something into the uh-huh. table, but also having like the international influence. I mean, um, and I love that you mentioned casserole, and you know that was something that I always loved growing yeah. up. I mean, honestly, I mean, this is a terrible example, but even just like the tuna helper, you know, oh. I mean, like I got I got pretty excited about like, that.
0: Well, my mom does tuna casserole, which as a kid I didn't love, mm-hmm. and now I, I like it, but I think it's because it's a food memory. And it, I mean, come on now, we're talking truly what. 70s, so is a can of cream of soup and a can of whatever the other soup, and then cans of tuna, you know, and the egg noodle. And she would always put um, English peas in it, so that made it special, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah, (laughs) especially up for kids that grew up eating beans and fill peas. So now you
1: got a plated dish, man. Like, yeah, there you go, (laughs) it's got some contrast. (laughs) And my
0: dad, um, he told me how to make rice properly, which is, um. Just the ratio, so that it's still a whole, you know, grain of rice. It's not gummy, because in Mississippi, rice you eat for breakfast, and so it would be considered overcooked, like a porridge, and you eat it with rice and sugar. And so he didn't like that. So his rice is more perfect grains with butter, salt, and pepper. So there's a good pot of rice. Sounds
1: wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Um, so man, growing up just south of of Memphis. Mm-hmm. So so were you still? This was still in Tennessee then, yeah. Or
0: um, well, m- no, this is Mississippi. Okay. So yeah, this Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah.
1: So so you're growing up, and you actually make your way to you go to college in Tulsa. Right? Oh
0: gosh, I've lived a lot of places. Yeah. So yeah.
1: maybe that's a that's a that's a really <laughs> great segue. So you have spent some time in your life. Overseas, uh-huh. all over the place. Uh-huh. You've cooked all over. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're growing up, and. You, you make your way to where as a young adult so what, what's uh, kind of Tulsa, the next step Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma Tulsa, Oklahoma which I've been against to against my will yeah against my will hey you know <laughs> I, I was actually surprised I mean it's just cool man like that's it's total dust bowl but like you drive through that part of the country and everything feels like a little piece of civilization you're like yeah. oh thankfully yeah you're so excited station. to see and it's so flat
0: so you don't really see it exactly. until you're on it yeah, yeah.
1: like you, you kind of like in it you zip by it at yeah. like 90 miles an I'm hour I'm just
0: actually getting back from Bentonville, Arkansas from a food festival there. I
1: saw this on your yeah, Instagram. Yeah, so that was cool. And yeah. like you
0: said, it's like, you're out there and then it's this civilization, you know? So mm-hmm. that was cool. Yeah. But yeah, my dad worked for Chrysler um, out of college and so each promotion we moved a different place. And uh, then he was offered a, a dealership. So it was a Dodge dealership and our options were Tulsa, Oklahoma or Portland, Oregon. And people, foodie people, I was like, oh my god, why didn't you go to Portland? And like, it wasn't that Portland then, okay? It was just like, <laughs> Woods and wet and mushrooms, I think. You know? <laughs> so we ended up in Tulsa um, between my, my junior and senior year of high school. So it was pretty traumatic. And uh, so I went my last year of high school there. And then my mom took my sisters and I to see the school. So my middle sister and I are um, three years apart. So we were in the same high school. And I remember bursting into tears because it was like this brick box on this dead piece of grass. And I was like, this is not what I'm used to and not what I want, you know. But I uh, graduated there and uh, ended up going to University of Tulsa. And got my undergrad and started culinary school the fall after I graduated from college.
1: Wow. Yeah. Man. So what were you so excited about to go to culinary school for?
0: Um, Just always wanted to be a chef. And I thought, well, this is what I want to do. And grew up watching uh, Julia Child like everyone else. And our family, you know, big into gardening and raised animals and chickens and butter and food. And it just seemed like the happy time. And my parents were totally against it totally against it. Wow. Yeah. 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 So um, my father finally, cause I was relentless and we made, he made a deal and he said, if you go to college and get a degree, graduate, I don't care what you do after that. And so in my mind that stuck and I'm like, I have to graduate and then I'll go to culinary school. And so that's what I was able to do. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. And where was culinary school?
0: Um, I was able to go to Oklahoma state university Um, What is now called Oklahoma State University Institute of Technology. That's a lot of syllables. Yes. Back then it was Oklahoma State University Okmulgee because that was the town it was in. It was like an hour outside of Tulsa. Gotcha. So um, it's really grown since then. You know, I've been back to see it. But uh, yeah. And so it was like I was married. And uh, it was an hour away, so I'd have to like drive to school and back, and still work and still be a wife, and so it was it was a lot to
1: make it happen, but it happened. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So there's a really interesting part of your story. So you actually end up in Germany. Of yes, all places. yes, yes. So I mean, and also like give me a little bit of the timeline. So you're actually in culinary school in Oklahoma still. So where does Germany actually make it into your story?
0: So I'm in culinary school, and then um, my husband was in. Um, RLTC in college so he goes to training I go to my externship in um, Virginia at the homestead and he gets stationed or we get stationed in Germany and so it was like I am at my externship he's at officers training school and he's like we gotta go you know so I'm gonna come pick you up finish training and then we gotta pack up and go to Germany and so <laughs> I was so excited until I get on the plane and then I just burst into tears and he was like, what is going on? I was like, I'm going to miss my mom. And he's like, oh, my gosh. So, But it was wonderful. We were there four years, one of which I was in Paris at Le Cordon Bleu, and it was amazing. Wow. Yeah, I tell anyone, I'm like, before kids and before mortgage travel. Yeah. You know, because yeah. once
1: they're here, it's, it's a little different. Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you, you go from, well, I mean, The the crazy thing is like being in such a different part of the country, and then doing your externship. I mean, Virginia is a great place, right? Right. Really. I mean, I was in
0: Hot Springs, Virginia, which is bumps up against West Virginia, right? And so, for a female and a black female, um, it wasn't welcoming as far as the locals. They didn't they didn't want any outsiders. They didn't want any black people, and the kitchen didn't want any women. So, it was a lot of um, pushback. And I think what got me through it is several other students from OSU, graduates, we did our externships together. So we kind of had each other. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But it was hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I can only say, you know, like, I mean, you know, watching my mom, you -hmm. know, in the kitchen, I mean, and you're up against, I mean. Big personalities come out in the kitchen, yeah, especially sure. everyone's ego. Yeah, you know, like hardly yeah. anyone truly says like they, they say that they're gonna leave it at the door, but hardly does that actually right. happen. And it really comes to ownership, and there's so much you know protection around like this is my kitchen, yeah, and, you know, my pot, my spot. It, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like, don't touch my knife, you yeah, know. And yeah, yeah. But especially being in a position where you have to prove yourself of like, yes. look, I'm not going anywhere, and we're either gonna do this together or you're you're gonna just have to get yeah, in line and no, I'm gonna run the r- show.
0: You're absolutely right. I was um, so they bounce you around, you know, all the different property. So Homestead is huge and they have a lot of satellite restaurants and golf club and then they have the main kitchen. And I remember being in the steakhouse and there was this one guy, local guy, and he was such a jerk. And uh, so I would prep everything and be ready to go and he really didn't want me on the line, you know. And one day I finally just clicked. and I'm like, I'll just wait till he shows up and then we'll do you know, our mise en place. And so he rolls in, he's been playing golf, and we're like an hour outside of opening and nothing is done. And so of course he's pissed, and I'm like, well, you know, screw you. So we get set up, and we get into an argument, and I mean, it's just not good. And we're on the hotline, and we're doing steaks at the steakhouse. And I just remember the waitress between the two of us, because he's against the wall where the um, salamander is for the steaks, and I'm on the outside, and we're having a discussion. And I didn't realize my chef knife was still in my hand. So the discussion, and everybody's like, okay. Uh, so they moved him, but they also moved me. And I made it to the main kitchen, you know, after six months. And I finally made it to the main kitchen, of course, Garmage. Um, But then, as you said, proving yourself, finally made it to the hotline. And so it took s- almost seven months before I could get there. Man. But uh, the chef was awesome. He was an Austrian chef. And he really took me under his wing and would talk to me about plate presentations and foods and balance. And exec um, sous chef was a German guy, and he was good. He was strict, but he was good. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I love I love hearing the stories of how people either came in with nothing and someone was so generous. Yeah. Just to just to teach them of like, look, you know, I don't care necessarily you know who you are where you're from like you're here to learn you're here to work and mm-hmm. as long as you continue to progress like we're going to get along yeah. you know? And I, yeah. I, I've met so many people and I've only worked in a handful of, of restaurant jobs in my life but most of what I've seen I've emulated from both right. my parents You know right. and the hard work and they've been taught something and they take that and then they turn it into something that they can use to edify their career yeah you know? and, you, and, and
0: you'll get both like I worked for a guy and um, he could cure less what we did you know, in the kitchen, and which was not great because you're new. You know, you're not really sure what you should be doing. So the upside was uh, we got to play around and create dishes and do whatever we wanted. And the downside is I didn't really learn from him. And I remember saying, like, hey, chef, you know, I don't feel like I'm really learning anything. And he was like, well, you know, opening up a case of number 10 cans, you should be able to learn from that. And I was like, oh, it's time to go because mm. you're not, you know, you don't love what you do. So you're not going to. Work with me because you don't care about your craft.
1: So. Yeah, it's hard when there's always someone who's you know just got to the certain point of yeah. like being so jaded that they, done. they they have no more knowledge to impart. Yeah, he's you know? just done. Yeah, yeah, man. So you're working at the homestead. You yeah. go to Germany. Yes. You go and spend... So this was a year at La Bleu in, uh-huh. in Paris. Yes. So you have got tons of experience under your belt at this point. Right. So how did you end up back in Atlanta?
0: So <laughs> so we were in Germany for two years. Um, in Ansbach or, or Bavaria. And so I still wanted to work and it was difficult to find a restaurant where they were willing to hire a non-German speaking black female chef. So I was like, well, I, I still want to cook. So I started my own company called um, Your Resident Gourmet where I would go in the homes of the military family and cook for them, which then evolved for me giving cooking lessons, which then evolved for me cooking for German families and teaching them American cuisine. So then we move up to um, get assigned to Heidelberg, Germany. And that's when I had the opportunity to go to uh, La Cordon Bleu for a year. And I get back, and I swear to you, I think it was planned, either my husband or the stars aligned, but I was immediately pregnant as soon as I got back out of school.
1: Perfect timing. (laughs) Perfect timing. I'm like, are you kidding
0: me? (laughs) And I was in denial. I had a good girlfriend. She's like, I think you're pregnant. I can, you know, you look. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. I don't think so. So finally, I go to the doctor, and I am. And... uh, so we have our daughter Janelle there, and we decide to come back stateside because we want to be family. And she was our first of, and the first grandchild of both sides of the family, you know. So we made it back to uh, the States, and we went to Fort Lee, Virginia, was our first duty station. Gotcha. Yeah. And gotcha. then Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I know Fayetteville I mean, well. You know yeah. Fayetteville. Yeah, yeah, I know yep. Fayetteville. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, ready to get back to work and um, pregnant again. And I'm like, this can't be right. And it's the same <laughs> friend who's visiting. Um, and she's like, you're pregnant. I'm like, get out of here with that. And she's like, I can look at you. I could tell. And so it was like 33 days. And I finally go to the doctor. And they're like, well, yeah. And so then we get stationed to uh, Fort McPherson. So that's how I made it to Atlanta. But no more, bra- no more babies. So I got back in into work. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: That is that's amazing. I mean, and especially just going from, you know, where... Where you grew up, mm. and then you know you're kind of rested from that home to make you know new home in <laughs> all I places. I feel like I my former life, I was a nomad. Yeah, I, I mean, do. but you've totally exuded that lifestyle, yeah. you know. And it, it's it's just amazing to hear, like from Mississippi to Oklahoma, yeah. of all, places. Of all but, places. But even even if you took the other route in your store and you go to Portland, Oregon, I mean, talk about it would still have been crazy, I mean, like yeah. polar opposites, yeah. but just not home, right. not not at yeah. all the South, yeah. not at all. Not at I mean, all. plenty of friendliness in yeah. both of those places, yeah. but just not the South, and yeah. then. To Virginia, yeah, and then I mean overseas, and you spend Stand time back in Paris, and and, yeah. and then you come back, and then you still have like that that military like bouncing around, mm. bouncing around lifestyle. Like yeah, that. that's incredible. And I think
0: that's why, uh, or I know that's why I was able to have a career that is not you know traditional or linear, and I was determined to to still cook and build that around being a wife and being a mom, you know, and traveling. And so um, it works out. And it's not always easy. And sometimes, you know, I'm like a trailblazer, a reluctant trailblazer. Um, And other times it's a little, you know, easier because somebody else has done, hey, you could be a personal chef. And I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Or you can uh, write. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I can do that. So it adds into, you know, physically cooking. I can support myself and my family other ways and still be in food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and
1: and you talked about two two paths that I really want to go down mm-hmm. with your story. So you make your way back here to Atlanta, right? And um, the the two things that I really want to kind of go down, and there's a lot, there's a lot there, there's a lot okay. to really unpack. You talk about the writing right. side, and you have two really. Wonderful cookbooks Thank you. That, Thank you. that are very—I mean, again, like—I think some people think cookbook, and it's just page after page of like, this is how you cook this, and mm-hmm. this is how mm-hmm. you cook this. But there's so much story, like yes. the the allegory side to it nice. is yeah. more than just, you know, here's a tool, you right? Know, like, so that's definitely one thing for us to cover. But okay. especially the education piece, and right. you—you—you've done far more than just teach people how to cook. You've right. really taught people about some very important things in the industry. And this is really where I want to start. Okay. Is so tell me about your approach to education. So teaching people, you know, how to get comfortable cooking for either themselves or right. other people but then also bringing along the level of education so we're talking sustainability food waste. i mean so we're, we're obviously talking about like some of your work here with the department of agriculture right. and also james beer talking specifically about food waste right. so you know just tell me a little bit about your approach and what your experiences has been and just seeing where people are sure. and then bringing them along of like i'm gonna i'm gonna the knowledge that you need to get to a certain place but so what's that part of your career been well,
0: like? well it's um it's funny you say that because my mother says I've always been a teacher so I'm, I'm the eldest of three and so being the eldest you tend to be bossier and you want it your way and you figure you have the right you know idea so I think part of that is just being a natural teacher showing my siblings how to do something And because I love food, it was easy to transition into food um, and cooking. And believe me, I never aspired to be a teacher. Like, my mother is a master teacher. Like, she's done it her entire life. My youngest sister's a teacher. But I was like, no way. But it's it's food versus math. So that works, you know, it works for me. Um, And I think with teaching food or cooking or the history is you're teaching a person a life skill. So I am teaching you how to feed yourself. And feed your family, and feed your community, and there's so many layers of just pride in being able to do that, and so that I I like that part of it,
1: yeah for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so th- that's such an interesting thing because I I had a very easy outset with mm-hmm. both of my parents like working in the industry, right. so food was going to come naturally to right. me. And I have a brother that's 17 months older than I am, so cooking and just from the provisional aspect of right. learning how to cook for people that you love or you like or right, you right, guests, right. it was always just there. Right. You know, like I could make something simple, but you're going to be, you know, you're going to be fine. Right. But, you know, especially when you start talking to someone who doesn't understand or even have right. any, any comfort yeah. in the kitchen, you know, like that's a huge piece to bring along. And then, so, you know, also how, how have you approached like the educational aspect of just getting someone Comfortable in their own skin, right. holding a knife or, I, I, or understanding how to, you know, braise a chicken.
0: I think part of it, um, half of it, is easy because they're there. That means they're willing to learn. You know, right. even people who say I don't enjoy cooking or I don't like to cook or we eat out every day, you're here, which means you're interested in something. You know, so I got you that way. Um, but it, I like people. I meet people where they're at. I think that is maybe one of my skills is I meet you where you're at, and that may be. I don't know how to cook um, or I love to cook it could be um, I'm here because I want to be able to feed my family you know we don't have a lot of money I want to be able to make a one-pot meal that'll last Um, so I just meet them where they are and then I'm just very I guess patient and showing them similarities to whatever it is we're making so you mentioned braising. So depending on their culture or their background, we can talk about a pot roast or we can talk about pig feet, or we can talk about a turkey and then they get it. And you talk about the recipe as a guide. Okay. You don't have to. And I have those people that, I mean, they have it, a death grip on that recipe and they're going step by step by step. And I'm like, you're going to have to just relax. You're going to have to listen to the food. Can you hear it? You know, can you smell it? Does it smell like it's burning? You know, what does it look like? Does it look done? And so just kind of slow it down there so that they feel comfortable with um, making that. And the main thing is you have something at the end. So you, you've done something. I, I have created this dish, and it might not be exact. It might not be perfect, but I did it. And so they have that sense of accomplishment. And, you know, then you build it from there because you might say, you know what, Jen, this is just really not my thing. Cool. What three things would you like to learn today? well, how do I hold my knife or how do I sharpen my knife or where's the best place to shop or how do I read a recipe? And so these are the things that you know I try to impart to people so that they feel like they got something out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you call it a life skill because I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Anyone can go to the grocery store, but if you actually don't know how to... Use fennel. Like, why, yeah. are, why are you going to buy it? I mean, yeah. if but I love that you say, like, death grip on a recipe. Death grip. Some people are like total Lego yeah. instructions, man. Yeah. Like they, That's a good way well, to say but they, it. But they need it. It's like, yeah. I need to know yeah. when do I put the onions yes. into the pan? Or, yes. like, I, and then you start introducing, like, you know, next level skills of, like, I don't know what, what do you mean brown butter? Right. Like, what in the world? Right, 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 You know, like, where do I buy brown butter? Right. It's like, no, you just make it in the pan. Yes. Man. It's like, turn the it, heat on. No, know? that's
0: true. And I, I try to write, or I do write my recipes very simply mm-hmm. so that anybody, a novice, or a master cook can read it and know what's going on. And I like the fact that people are learning something, and be it for fun. Like, you know, I do tons of classes where they're just hanging out, having a glass of wine. Some people are cooking everything. Others are watching, and maybe they'll do a little, to teaching people really, like, basics, like, this is what you do. So it's a a mixture. But I always want to do what I call give them a little nugget of culinary knowledge to take home.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to knock on having like, some educational culinary nuggets from Chef Jen Hope. Yeah, her, <laughs> thank you. I'm totally down. <laughs> so, um, so talk to me about a few of the other things that I want to know sure. a little bit more just about your story, your work here, like being mm. a chef in Atlanta. So tell me about your work with the Georgia Department of Agriculture sure. and then also specifically around education on food waste from James Beard. Sure. So those are two really cool things. Yeah,
0: so I do, um, and it's, it's so funny because not being a, a Georgian by birth, but I do a lot for Georgia as far as food goes. So I actually work with Georgia Department of Agriculture and Georgia Department of Tourism. So I didn't know that. About yeah, you actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Georgia Department of Agriculture has a cool progr- program um, for um, Georgia Grown. So each year they select four chefs out of, in the con- in the state that they feel really represent Georgia. Like you're cooking Georgia food, you're talking about what's growing here. We're supporting family farmers. Um, and then our job is to go throughout the world, really, and show people, hey, this is what we have in Georgia. And so I was selected, I believe, in 2013 to do that. And it's very natural as kind of the reluctant educator to just kind of share that with people. And it, I learned, too, like, we have olive oil in Georgia. Like, how cool and amazing is that? Which prompts me to say, oh, it's because the Spaniards were here first, and they have Olive Grove. Which, you know, you go back and say, oh, because we have the right climate to grow olive trees, you know. So that's all very cool. And that kind of turned into me being selected by Georgia Department of Tourism to be a culinary explorer which, again, I get to travel the state and tell people where to eat and what to drink and what's fun and what's What cool. an
1: amazing title. And, you know, I, it's, yeah,
0: right, <laughs> Culinary Explorer. And I feel, you know, sometimes it's like God's joke on me because I'm like always have to watch my weight. And I'm always on a half ass diet and, you know, all these things, always at the gym. But then my job is eating food right. and telling people what to eat. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll take it, you know. But uh, so, and, and again, you get to tell people, we grow these things here like you can buy this at your farmer's market or you can even find it at some of the grocery stores and you can eat this seasonally and it's better for you and it's cheaper for you and it's healthy for you and you know i'm divorced so now you know i'm a a mom of two daughters that i still want to feed and have them eat healthy so i'm all about this is where you can find it if you eat seasonally that means it's cheaper and let me show you what you can make out of it so those two things really tied in with my lifestyle And really tied into um, James Beard uh, Foundation's No Waste Kitchen. And so they were like, hey, we we see what you're doing. And would you like to, you know, work with us on teaching people how to cook with less waste? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'll do that, you know, (laughs) because that's what I do. I grew up, you know, you grow your food. And if you put that much time and energy and money into raising a hog, you're going to use every piece and part of that hog. If you're raising an orchard of apples, you're gonna use every piece and part of those apples. So that was just how I grew up eating and cooking and my mentality. So it's easy for me to show others that same mentality. And it, it makes you feel better. Like, there's we talked earlier before you know we started recording about people that don't know where food comes from or they don't care or they eat only the choices and then they throw the rest away. And, and to me, it's a sin to do that with so many hungry people in the world. And food insecure people. And when I, early on, you know, when I got divorced, um, we didn't have money really. And so things were very tight. And we were not on the level of food insecurity as some people I've met. But I had to be very careful about what I bought and what I made it into and how can I, you know, reinvent it for another meal. So I get that, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah. But that's a huge part about cooking these days that I think. It it really it needs to be on the forefront of right. education, where even if you're just a home cook, but understanding that, you know the the things that just seem like the throwaway, right? You right. know, I mean, I know I mentioned fennel earlier, but like the fennel fronds, you right? Know, like. That's that yeah. it, it just seems like something that needs to go in the so garbage. So what can I get to do with this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or and you hear about people making, you know, like uh, pesto out of, mm-hmm. you know, greens from carrots or something like that. But like that's just a brilliant example of like, yeah, food waste doesn't have to be something that rules your household or right. your kitchen. Right. You can do some amazing things with the entire uh, you know, I, I know we were chatting about Stephen Satterfield earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean like the root to Leaf or right, right. Uh, another chef buddy of mine, <laughs> he was first person never tell me the, the rooter to the tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> like, true. But you know you you're like, use, but I don't want that. Yeah, but you <laughs> use everything end to end and you know it just makes you appreciate you know the hard work that goes into raising this animal yeah. or growing this vegetable and you know, you're doing your part. So Thank you. I mean, and you that's don't that's even
0: a, have to go that extreme like a potato, yeah. like eat the skin, like scrub it and eat the skin. It's, it's my good fibered, part. it's good for you. Um, The same thing with an apple, like teach your kids to eat the apple skin. It's healthy, it's good, and it doesn't go in the garbage. Yeah.
1: You know? I had a, a Georgia apple uh, maybe, like, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I actually ate the entire thing. I took the stem out because uh-huh. that's kind of hard to chew with, right. but I ate the entire thing, like, core and all. My cousin does that. My yeah. cousin, Jay. He and d- I was, I was yeah. standing with a coworker, and she looked at me like I had yeah. six heads, you know?
0: When he was a kid, we were like, uh, we have more
1: apples. And yeah. like, no, I like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so good. I mean, it was, oh, it's so floral. Yeah. And like, oh, I was just like, I just don't want to put it down. There you I don't go. put there it down. You go. Um, but no, I, th- I think the work that you're doing is Thank so important. You. So I think that's a, that's a huge part that everyone needs to understand about your your level of education that you're bringing to Georgia and the rest of the world is that that's something that we all need to perpetuate. Thank so you.
0: And I'm a perpetual student. I mean, I learn. And um, when I first got hired at La Blue Blue here in Atlanta, and I would go home every night and like study and research because I had to do a lecture the next day. And I was like, I don't want anyone to know more than I know. Like, I don't want my students to be like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So I'm always learning. And I did an event with Steven Satterfield for Atlanta uh, Food and Wine Festival. And it was called To the Ash, Down to the Ash. So it was rooted to the tutor or seed to stem or root to leaf or however you want to put it. And we also talked about the medium you use to cook your food, so fire. And so I made um, hominy for the first time. I grew up watching my great-grandmother, my big mama, make it and my grandmother. And it just freaked me out. So for those of you who don't know what hominy is, it's a dry corn that you put in an alkali um, or lye water. And it I call it mutates. That's probably not the correct term. But it (laughs) changes, you know, swells up and the hull comes out. And the cool thing is the nutrients in that dry corn become digestible. So I made it, and it's like slow as molasses to make. So I think that's why like farmers made it, and you you talked about the Dust Bowl um, earlier. Um, You're starving to death, what can I do to make food? And it was taking uh, wood ash, dissolving it in water, adding this dry corn, boiling it, simmering it, rinsing it off, and then you have the hominy. So that was really cool, and I, I told Stephen, thank you for having me do this process, because I watched it as a kid, I had no clue what it was, and now I was able to do research and, like, make this dish. So yeah. it was cool on a lot of levels. Yeah,
1: it's cool. Not a lot of people realize that, like, either masa or maseka. Right. Like, if you're getting a true corn tortilla, like, right. that's the process. Yeah. And, you know, like, you're talking about lime. It's not the same type of lime that people might think of. But right. that process of breaking down corn. Right. Like, that lime, yeah. But we've just missed it. You know, like, corn is just such a commodity. Right. You know, and we're we're not we're not really using it the way that people yeah. just south of our known part of the world Yeah, is use it, it for everything. I mean, the first time that I saw someone actually use, you know, true masa, like mm-hmm. they actually had, you know, what was hominy or, right. you know, that, um, you know, they, they actually made their own corn flour and they're pressing those tortillas. I mean, not only can you see the difference, yeah, but you taste, taste it taste, and smell it even, yeah, right? But, but even just eating it, mm-hmm. like even just eating, you know, hominy by itself, like yeah. it is so vibrant and yeah. alive and it does not – like, it blows everyone's mind, yeah. especially was, with just how huge it is. You it know, is. It just it's just this it's engorged like problem. Like,
0: I don't have giant hands, but, like, your thumb, Think, look at your nail bit. Like, it's <laughs> that big, right? right? So I was able to make um, pozole or pozole soup, you know, Latin American soup, and I did some saute with salt pork and onion, which is how we grew up eating it. Um, what else did I make out of this? Because it was like, oh, how many grits? So, you know, start them off so they were comfortable. Like, okay, I recognize a grit. I could eat that. Mm-hmm. And then just for fun, we did corn liquor lemonade because, you know, it's corn and you
1: make it into some good booze. So. I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah right, right? That's, that's actually – yeah, that sounds cool. real good. That was cool. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, the – Man, that, that level of understanding food, it, it almost – it just unlocks, like, a different side of people. So, I mean, I think the work that you're doing, you know, just through, uh, you know, everything that you've brought from the Cordon Bleu to James Beard Thank and Depor- Department of Agriculture and Tourism. I mean, again, you probably have one of the coolest titles. I mean, yeah. the culinary, <laughs> explorer, <laughs> culinary Explorer. I know, amazing. I should get, like, some T-shirts to yeah. say that. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be like, I know the Culinary Explorer <laughs> well, there you go. with an arrow. So, like, we got two shirts will get made up. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly.
0: no, I – I love it, and I tell people, I said I was lucky and blessed enough to find my thing early, you know, and be able to make a living and, and like you said, travel and meet people and teach people and and learn as I go. So, I I mean, I know that um, one of my favorite food icons, I call him, was Anthony Bourdain. And so I had this whole fantasy of meeting him at an airport. Like, we're at an airport, I meet him, we have a conversation about food. Like, he has a beer, I have a cocktail. And it was so vivid, vivid. it was like, this will happen. And so when he, you know, passed away recently, it was just like, it was devastating to me. Um, but I so respect what he, the legacy of food he left, which was knowing the food and the indigenous people that make the food and respecting that and what they do and why did you do it and what it is now. And so
1: I, I will just always admire that, you know. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. You know, and I think another part of your of your approach to food and also education is you you have two really interesting cookbooks mm-hmm. that you've yeah. written. Uh-huh. And uh so I know uh, Feel Peace de Foie Gras yes. and uh, Dinner Deja Vu. Yes. So <laughs> give me so give me and I know that like I've only got part of the title in both of those, right, but right. like give me an idea of both of those and sure. then the, the other thing that I love is so you know I I've been around plenty of cookbooks and mm-hmm. you know the creation and like I the ones that I love the most like I don't use them like oh let me go recall that recipe for Dashi right And just <laughs> yeah. because I need to remember it like right. I I remember it from like the parts of the story right that people are telling right. but you know with your cookbooks you know in your approach like just just give me like an idea of like both of them sure so
0: fill piece to foie gras and southern recipes with the French accent is the name of the, the book and it's just that it's southern recipes that I grew up uh, eating and um, some French, the recipes that I learned, and then some that are just like a, a mix of the two types of, of cuisine. And I love Phil to foie gras because it's family history. And I wanted, and you, we talked a little about ego and chef ego, but I wanted the world to know that Southern food is not all um, grease and gravy. Like we have beautiful, healthy, elegant food. We set a beautiful, elegant table. Um, I feel soul food, we get a bad rap and, you know, blacks cooking soul food for whatever reason are looked at as like, I don't know, the table's not set, we eat with our hands, whatever. Um, so I wanted people to see like, this is what it is and this is what I grew up eating and these are the people that cooked it for me. So lots of stories and lots of family, you know, photos and it was a journey for me because I got to research these recipes and literally follow my grandmother around the kitchen. Like, Graham, how do you make biscuits? And she's like, well, you do two cups of flour. Well, let me see your teacup. So her teacup is like a double cup, you know. So really, it's four cups of flour. And her palm (laughs) full of, you know, salt, like, let me measure that in a teaspoon. So it took a lot of time. But it was great to, to learn these recipes and look through these pictures. And I had to, like, sign my name in blood before my mom would, like, give me the pictures to get photographed for the book, you know. But it was it was cool. So I, I love that because of it. And it was my heritage and my family and my story. Um, and then Dinner Deja Vu, Southern Tonight French Tomorrow, is how I grew up eating and how I cook, which is a chicken, a giant roaster, so that we can have it for Sunday dinner, and then I can turn it into chicken pot pie tomorrow. Or we have roasted sweet potatoes, and then we'll turn them into a sweet potato crepe with brown butter. Um, sugar on top. I love brown butter. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, big flavor in there. So, it's just two books that are really who I am. You know, one is my story and my history, and one is who I am right now. And as a working mom, it has one, seven ingredients. You can go to the market, get everything you need to make at least two recipes. And there's a shopping list in the back of the book, so you can take a picture, take that with you. You don't have to, like, go through the recipe and write everything down and forget everything. So, uh, that's, yeah. So, I enjoy...
1: I enjoy writing both of them. But what a beautiful way to celebrate your background, your history. And then especially you're you're very surreptitiously sliding in like, hey, don't waste what you made on day one because you're going to reuse it on day two. But in a really smart way. Well, it's funny you say that because
0: the working title was Cook Once, Eat Twice. I thought that was genius. I was like, this is genius. (laughs) Nailed it. And my publishers (laughs) were like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? People don't like leftovers. People don't want to eat a leftover. I'm like, oh. So dinner deja vu, which is French for leftover dinner. (laughs) But okay, you know, sounds good.
1: Like wait, I know this. (laughs) I know this. I know this. I had it the other day. (laughs) Exactly. But but, um, yeah. but no, I think it's cool. I, I I really encourage people to pick up a cookbook first for the story, right? And then you're gonna naturally hear about the things that someone is writing about in their history, and you're gonna want to cook that recipe. Right. I mean, you know, if, if you've ever seen like Julia and Julia, like oh you know, gosh, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, you like those recipes, and then you're hearing about yeah, them. that. Like, it makes you want to go cook. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. And um, it's uh, it, that's that's the kind of thing that you need to understand the story, understand the person right. first, right. and yeah. don't just go because you feel like it's a great cookbook and you right. wanna You know, you want to be. Some you yeah. know, chef with flair. Like yeah. you need to understand like a cookbook isn't just a tool. Like right. it's as much of a biographical read as, as it is a tool. Yeah. So I
0: agree in pictures. I, I feel oh, yeah. you have to have lots of big pictures because that's why I buy a cookbook. I don't necessarily care who wrote it. I want to see what are the pictures and are they inspire me to shop and cook. Yeah. Because I was looking through Instagram and there was a picture of this beautiful green salad with fresh tomato and a poached egg. And I was like, I'm all over that. Yeah. You know, I've got to make that for dinner this week.
1: Big time. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, with, uh, you know, with you being just a, a chef here mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and, I mean, again, you know, the, the the approach to the culinary community that you're bringing here in Atlanta, and um, especially just with the greater organizations you're working with that have a international and, you know, global footprint, right. really. Um, it's, uh, it's just really cool. So, so give me an idea of, you know, who, who are you, who are you working with just like on a daily basis? Like, you know, who are some of the people that you're actually helping educate?
0: Oh, um, well, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I guess just regular people or people that are, that are interested in food. And, um, sometimes it's a bit surreal cause I'll meet people who are like, Oh my God, I read your book or I saw you on TV and I want to, I want to get this. And, And I'm like, well, okay, you know, but normally it's just people who like food or who want to cook or who want to cook Southern food or French food. So, um, that's really it. I don't think I aspire to cook for a certain genre of people. Um, I want to educate, you know, everyone about food and and how to cook food and how to cook for your family. And I want you to respect Southern food and soul food and know the history of food. Um, But it's not for... Anybody special is for everybody special, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and one of the last questions I have for sure. you is, you know, just like what what would you say like to everyone here in Atlanta, like just with your approach to cooking and cuisine, and mm-hmm. also just how to respect food in a really good way. What would you say is like the biggest thing that we should be doing, just as consumers?
0: I say um, learn where your food comes from. Learn where your food comes from because, um, like I said, I, I work every day. You know, I have a mortgage and insurance and a kid in college. Um, so sometimes you look and you're like, yeah, that taco's a dollar. Maybe it's worth it. <laughs> and then you say, oh, well, maybe not because it's coming from a factory and, um, or it's coming from somewhere that they don't get paid to, to make the food or, you know, package it up for us. So learn where their food comes from. Respect uh, the people that have to grow it or raise it, um, who have to serve it to you. Um, be respectful of all those things when you enjoy your meal because it takes a lot to get it to the table. Um, so I think that's the main thing. And then don't be wasteful. I mean, we're, we're a country of waste. And for every dollar that you earn, 40 cent goes in the garbage. And that's crazy. It's like giving money away. But that's you know the statistics on how much food waste we have. So know where your food comes from. Be respectful of that and the people that cook it and serve it. Um, and reduce the food waste. So that's my PSA for the day.
1: Good <laughs> words from <laughs> Chef Jen Booker. It was such a pleasure Thank having you, you on the show. Thank and you. just with the last minute here, what do you have going on? Where oh can gosh. people find you? Where can people follow you? Pick up your cookbooks. The sure. mic is yours.
0: Well, um, I do a lot with the Cook's Warehouse for Mary Moore. I love Mary Moore. She's, a, Mary she's Moore. a great person. She's a person that if you say, Mary, I want to cook, or I want to work, and it, she'll find something for you. So that's awesome. And she has three locations, so I'm at all three at any given time. Um, as you said, I'm with Georgia Department of Tourism, so you'll um, find me doing my Culinary Explorer. We're getting ready to go down to um, do some videos at different, rest- or different farms. So I'll be looking at some peaches coming up. I think we're going to check out the Olive Groves in South Georgia. So I'll be um, doing a lot of that. I'll be headed to Bentonville, or sorry, Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, in August for a Roots Festival. And it's music and art and food. So you can come check me out. That's the end of August. And as far as cookbooks, um, Philpies, Foie Gras, Southern Recipes with a French Accent, and Dinner Déjà Vu, Southern Tonight, French Tomorrow, are at the Cook's Warehouse, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target, Walmart. Call me. I'll sign a copy for you. (laughs) They're always in the trunk of my car. (laughs) Cookbook sales is not
1: glamorous. Just text me for a copy. (laughs) Exactly.
0: But, yeah, check out my website is Chef Jennifer Hill Booker. And I have a calendar of events. I have some free recipe tips, um, recipes that you can download or copy. I don't mind. Um, But, yeah, just check me out and come say hi. You don't ever have to buy anything, but... I'd love to meet people if they just want to say hello.
1: Chef, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around to the very end here. And I'm joined by some special guests, and that's Chef Parnas Savong and Chef Rod Lassiter of Talat Market. And if you've been listening along, you'd actually have heard Chef Parnas on Episode 7 earlier this spring in Season 1. And these guys have some really great news. They're opening a brick-and-mortar location in Summerhill next year. They launched a Kickstarter campaign back in July, and they are well beyond... Hitting their goal and you know i just wanted to bring them on here to talk a little bit more about what's next for them and talat market so what's going on guys hey ben
0: hey hey we're
1: so back. you are back so parnas <laughs> parnas tell us a little bit about what's been going on with you guys well we just reached you guys have supported us you know from the beginning of the kickstarter and i can't believe we're like there now and it just shows to uh, shows us how much you guys want this restaurant to exist um but yeah, we're super excited to spend the money on the front of the uh, the ambiance, where it's gonna be like you literally walk in and you will feel the flood of the Thai ness all over you. And uh, and I'm excited to be part of the Grant Park Summerhill neighborhood, and we're excited about you know supporting our local Georgia farmers, and by you know making this Georgia Thai concept really fly.
0: Yeah, I just want to say uh, it really does blow my mind, uh, the support that the community in Atlanta has shown, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I know Parnas is just over the moon about it, and uh, we can't wait to open the doors, and it's all thanks to you guys
1: yeah well we're looking forward to coming to the restaurant sometime next year congratulations to you guys for hitting your goal definitely head over and support these guys as much as you can Um, i'll have a link up on the episode page where you can find out more about how you can continue to support their kickstarter campaign but we'll see you guys out there
0: hey thanks so much for your uh, support as well we appreciate it
1: can't wait to see you guys go thai food (laughs) thai food